Hey everybody and welcome to Breaking Biotech. Thanks for being with me here today. My name is Matt and if you like the show you can help out by clicking the like or subscribe button. You can also donate using the Patreon link in the description below. So I'm glad to be back and I've got a great show for everybody today. We're going to be talking about the highlights from the Q2 2021 earnings reports that we saw from all sorts of different companies. So I'm going to go through between 10 to 15 different companies that I'm interested in and talk about the different things that came up in their earnings reports for Q2. So going to be a little bit of a different style show than I'm used to, but I think it'll be very interesting for all of us. So before I get into that, I just want to thank everybody for their attention and all the engagement that I get on Twitter and the YouTube channel. So please keep it up. And with that, let's just get right into the show. And the first company I want to talk about is Biogen, which is a real favorite of mine. Ticker symbol BIIB, and they're sitting at a $50 billion market cap. And what we heard is that they announced Q2 revenue of $2.78 billion, and this is compared to 2020 Q2 revenue of $3.68 billion. So a huge decline there, and that is mostly due to a decrease in their MS revenue of 24% year over year. And if you remember when I went through the Biogen episode I did, the majority of their revenue comes from their MS franchise. And since the lawsuit against Biogen was in favor of the generic companies, including Mylan, they have launched generic versions of Tecfidera, which are now at risk because Biogen has filed an appeal. And what this means is that these generic companies are gonna be able to sell their generic version of Tecfidera at the risk of Biogen winning on appeal, in which case Biogen is gonna be able to litigate against them for patent infringement. So during this time at which we don't know what the status of the appeal is gonna be, Biogen's gonna start losing MS franchise market share pretty quickly to these generic companies. So we're starting to see this now with these abysmal MS numbers. Now the company did increase their guidance for the rest of the fiscal year only by about 200 to 300 million dollars, so not a huge amount, but they said that this is due to better than expected MS sales, so who knows what's going on there. But really the bulk of the call was the excitement around the Aduhelm commercialization efforts. And now, just to say, the amount of Aduhelm revenue was only like one to two million dollars, so very much a drop in the pan, not very impressive so far. But it's because all of these infrastructure efforts need to take place in order to get hospitals up and running in order to treat patients. Now, the one thing that came up a lot on the call was the reimbursement efforts. And what the company said is that Medicare and Medicaid Services, which is known as CMS, this is the federal national organization, has opened a national coverage determination analysis. And what this is going to do is going to allow them to decide whether or not they're going to establish a national coverage policy for A-beta lowering antibodies. And so now that there's finally an A-beta lowering product on the market, the CMS needs to decide what they're going to do with these drugs since now potentially other ones might be approved as well. The proposed decision should be coming within six months, and there's five different scenarios that can happen. They can range from absolutely no coverage all the way to full coverage, and then there's some intermediate decisions that are different based on the type of specialist that can allow a patient to be treated with Aduhelm. The company mentioned that there is no example of an FDA-approved drug not being covered by the CMS in the last 15 years, so that's very encouraging. And then they also mentioned that in the uh, limbo time frame between now and when we see the CMS decision, they expect that the local affiliates called the Medicare Administrative Contractors and Medicare Advantage are going to cover Aduhelm in the meantime. And they cite what happened with CAR-T therapies that also went through this CMS NCD analysis. And they said that those treatments, those prescriptions were approved by the MAC, the local affiliates for Medicare. So that's good news, at least in the short term. But really, this upcoming decision is going to be huge for the company. If they get no coverage, obviously, we'd see some major downside. And full coverage, I think, would lead to an upswing in the, in the price. The company also mentioned that they're starting to see prior authorization approvals, which is good news. And they're saying that there are already some MAC Aduhelm claims observed. They don't know yet about the payment situation since obviously this stuff takes a really long time, but 
it is encouraging that things are moving. When it comes to the actual infrastructure setup, they're talking about working with a lot of hospitals locally to figure out what they're gonna do in terms of setting up infusion centers because this isn't really a normal thing for neuroscience departments to have and that it's gonna take some effort to really set up how they're going to treat patients since this drug treatment involves an infusion. So those are kind of novel things that Biogen needs to set up with these different hospitals and different clinics that are going to offer Aduhelm. Now, Aduhelm set aside, Biogen did announce before this earnings report some top-line data from their collaboration with Ionis, and this is an ASO treatment targeting tau. And they were able to show that treatment with this ASO was able to lower tau which is another kind of protein associated with Alzheimer's progression. So this was nice news. It's very early data, but it is positive. And then they announced that the drug BAN2401, also known as Lacanumab, was awarded breakthrough designation. And this drug was also able to reduce A-beta to a pretty significant degree, even though the cognitive benefits weren't quite there. And that's what my critique was when I did a video on BAN2401 long, long ago. And it seems like now it doesn't really matter if there's a clinical benefit since you can get approval with just lowering A-beta. So that's kind of where the bar is set right now for all of these companies when they're looking at trying to get an Alzheimer's drug to market. The company also mentioned that they're going to be doing another $3.6 billion worth of buybacks for the rest of 2021. And this is going to put upward pressure on the stock. There's going to be about 11 million shares that they're going to buy back, which, you know, as we know, has a very nice tailwind for the stock price. So it's for these reasons why I like holding Biogen here, and I think we're going to slowly trickle back up. Obviously, the NCD decision is going to be a huge catalyst for the company. And there's a couple other things coming up as well. There's the Phase 3 ALS trial, and this is in collaboration with Ionis. It's a compound called Tofersen, and it's an antisense drug against SOD1, and SOD1 is associated with ALS, so if they saw positive data here, I think we'd see a little bit of a move in the stock. There's also a phase three for major depressive disorder, and this is the CORAL study, which is in collaboration with SAGE. This, I think, is probably priced to failure, but it's gonna have a larger effect on SAGE than it is on Biogen, so I'm not gonna be focusing on this too much. Now, one thing that I didn't mention in my previous Biogen video is this Tecfidera decision. So after Mylan won the case in, I think, mid-2020, Biogen has appealed it, and we're still waiting for that decision. If Biogen can win the appeal, all of that potential revenue that's gonna be lost, which we're seeing right now, can all be regained until the patent actually expires, which I think they still have a few years on. So this would drive some upward pressure on the stock. I think the company is actually priced to not win the appeal because I think the odds of an appeal are very low. So I'm not too worried about that decision, but it is something to keep in mind that we could see at any point. So that's Biogen, sort of encouraging. We're still hovering at around the $340 price point and I'm holding a pretty decent position. Moving on though, let's talk about a company called Atrika. Ticker symbol BCEL, and they were down 40% since, I think, a few weeks ago. And this is more so on the news of their Phase 1B clinical update rather than the earnings report. But they're trading at around a $200 million market cap, and they presented initial clinical data from their Phase 1B trial of ATRC 101 in select advanced solid tumors. And it's really a basket of solid tumors. Check out the press release for more details. It's kind of all over the place. But the point here was to see if we can get any real ac clinical activity. And they did a three plus three trial design. And if you don't know what that is, it's a, a way of slowly increasing the dose in different patients, waiting to see if there's gonna be some kind of safety signal before you move on to the next group. And if there is some kind of safety signal, you do another three patients to see what comes from that. They looked at 26 patients and each of these patients had an average of five prior lines of treatment before. So heavily pre-treated patients. And also I'll just mention that in this three plus three design, they're starting at the lowest dose. So patients that have been treated the longest when we see these interim analyses are only being treated with the lowest dose. So the bar is actually really low for this kind of trial to see some positive data because the highest dose patients have been treated for the shortest amount of time. 
Having said that, here's what the data showed. And in terms of safety, I think we should touch on this first. Eight out of 24 patients had at least one grade three or higher adverse event. So right out of the gate, we're seeing some relatively negative safety signals. Some of the grade three adverse events were respiratory failure, where we saw two, and then two had sepsis. So the antibody treatment is having an effect on the lungs as well as the immune system where they're susceptible to infection. There's a grade four adverse event, which was acute respiratory failure. So kind of concerning here that something so bad like respiratory failure is happening this often that I think the company's gonna have to figure out what to do here. If there's some way that they can treat this respiratory failure or they're gonna have to maintain a lower dose than is ideal for this treatment. Now for the efficacy, they saw eight out of 20 patients had achieved stable disease and in those eight patients, four of them had a tumor reduction. The rest of the patients, 12 out of 20, had progressive disease. And in the next slide, I'll touch on the how they're spinning this to make it seem like it's relatively positive, but eight out of 20 isn't an amazing stable disease result, and we didn't see any that had a complete response or a partial response. So it is what it is. Again, keep in mind that most of these patients are on the lower than is ideal dose, and the patients that have been treated the longest are on the highest dose, the one where we would expect the most clinical activity. So even with that, I'd say this is kind of a mixed to negative result. They also mentioned that the biomarkers correlated properly with this study. So markers of disease progression kind of went down and markers that you'd want to see went up in the patients that responded. So that's nice, but isn't really essential when it comes to this. We really wanna see whether or not patients are seeing that tumor reduction. In terms of upcoming catalysts, and part of the reason why I sold my position was that the next updates are not coming until around mid-2022. The phase 1b monotherapy dose expansion at the 30 mg per kg isn't going to be ready until maybe Q2 of 2022, and then they're also going to be starting some combination trials with Keytruda and some other compounds, but they're not going to start enrolling until Q4 of 2021. So, for those reasons, I don't think it's worth holding the position because the catalysts are going to be so thin between now and then. I wanted to touch on some of the specifics here where there might be a bit of uh, silver lining. And what they touched on in this figure is they separated patients based on ATRC 101 target expression. And they did this by H score. And I believe this is a histologic score where they stain the tumor with an antibody against this uh, target that they're looking at, ATCR, ATRC 101, and they're able to quantify the amount of expression on the tumor section, and they split up patients based on those that had an H score of 50 or higher, which means that there's more ATRC 101 expression in that sample compared to those that have an H score of below 50, meaning that there's not very much expression of ATRC 101. And what you would expect is that for patients that have a higher H score, you would expect that an antibody against this target would have an effect in these patients compared to those that had a low H score. And we've seen this with other checkpoint inhibitors like Keytruda. Those that have high PD-1 expression are more likely to respond. And what we see here is that of 15 resist evaluable participants with H scores, six patients had an H score of 50 or higher, and nine patients had an H score of below 50. And then of those that had an H score of 50 and above, three of them achieved stable disease, whereas those that didn't have a high H score, only one out of nine achieved stable disease. So they're trying to say that if you have this high H score, you're more likely to respond. Now it is only a stable disease, but like I said, these are heavily pre-treated patients and it is tough to get any kind of response out of them. And when we see any updates in the future, these stable disease patients could end up going towards something like a partial response. And it could just be that the treatment length takes a while before we see a response. So these are some nuances of cancer treatments that are tough to assess with a snapshot of the data like we see today. The other thing I'll just mention is that it seems like they're trying to massage the data a little bit. They're using a two-sided exact Wilcoxon rank sum, which is a non-parametric test and is not usually the kind of 
statistical analysis you would do for something like this, I feel like a paired t-test would have worked just fine, and it probably wouldn't have shown a p-value below 0.05, but they wanted to get a win here, and they did with a two-sided Wilcoxon rank sum, uh, which showed a p-value below 0.05, but I wouldn't take this as too significant. And the other thing I would say is a critique of this is, why didn't they just select patients that had an age score of at least 50 so they could have said that, hey, at least in this patient population, we can see a pretty big effect or not. Now, obviously, there's a downside to that, which is maybe this drug would have an effect in patients that had a low age score. So there's many ways to spin it, but I sold the position. I wasn't holding a huge um, position when I, when I got into the catalyst, but I sold after this because I don't feel like it's worth holding given that there's not many catalysts going on. But in mid-2022, I might look at it again and we can reanalyze from there. The next company I want to talk about is one called Orenia, ticker symbol AUPH, and they're sitting at around $15 per share, around a $2 billion market cap. And this company I'm not going to spend too much time on, but their compound Voclosporin, or Lupkinus, was approved for treatment of adults with lupus nephritis, and this came in in January of 2021. And so really, Arenia is a commercialization story. And as we've seen over and over again, it's been very tough for SMID biotechs to really commercialize any drugs successfully. Now, what came out after Q1 was a real disappointing sales number, only $884,000 in revenue, and the stock dropped pretty precipitously after that. In the time between then and now, there's been a few like random rumors being spread that Orini was going to get bought out and we'd seen some spikes that, that went up and down. We saw them remove their ticker from the Toronto Stock Exchange because they did have an office in Canada. So people posited that perhaps this was a sign that the company was going to get acquired since it's something that companies do is remove their ticker from different exchanges, but we haven't seen that yet. Now what led to a big increase in the price after all of this was that the Q2 numbers came in at $6.591 million, which is a pretty big improvement from the 884,000 that we saw in Q1. So investors were very surprised at this. They mentioned that they had 415 patient start forms, which is a 60% increase from Q1. And this leads to now a total of 800 year-to-date patient start forms. The other thing the company did was issue guidance for 2021, and they said that they're going to generate 40 to $50 million in revenue, which is kind of surprising for a company at this stage. You rarely see a company that's kind of a SMID biotech offer guidance. So I wonder if they are seeing very good adoption, and does that also mean that these could potentially be sandbag numbers, and that in the third quarter or the fourth quarter, we're gonna be able to outdo 50 million? I'm not sure. It's very interesting. So I'm still holding my position. I think I'm down like 5 to 10% on this stock. But it's interesting to see this commercialization story start to develop and actually develop in the positive, which is very rare in any company that I've invested in that's a SMID cap biotech that's at the commercial stage. The company did mention that their partner, Atsuka, has submitted for marketing authorization for European approval. So if they can get that, that would obviously be pretty bullish for the company in my opinion, since they'll, they're gonna have another company doing their commercialization efforts in Europe. So that's Arenia, one nice bright spot in the commercial stage biotech space. And with that, let's talk about TG Therapeutics, ticker symbol TGTX, and the company's sitting at $22 a share right now, giving them a market cap of $3.3 billion. Now the stock declined quite a bit on this earnings report, and I think it's a multifactorial thing. Their revenue from Uconic came in at $1.5 million, and just a reminder that Uconic is approved for second line and greater marginal zone lymphoma, as well as fourth line and greater follicular lymphoma. And so I think when I did my calculations in the past, I think the combination of these two indications, I probably gave a total addressable market of something like 1.5 billion if they achieved 100% penetration. Now obviously that was extremely uh, generous and the more likely addressable market given all the competition is probably something like 600 to 750 million. So them coming in at 1.5 million may have been a shock to some investors that were expecting more adoption from their sales team. 
they mentioned also that they gave away 35% of the drug for free. And this to me isn't super surprising given that the climate we're in right now makes it very difficult for salespeople to even get in front of doctors, let alone converting them to actually prescribing physicians. So I think what the sales team is reduced to doing is reducing the cost of the drug for free, which is encouraging doctors and patients to come together and decide to try it. And this short-term squeeze, I think, is going to help them in the long-term because patients are going to be convinced that it works and doctors are then going to feel more comfortable using this in their future patients. So I think it is an unfortunate thing right now, but given the environment that we're in, I don't see this as necessarily a bad thing because they are going to get doctors to be convinced that it's worth prescribing this drug after they do this trial run potentially for free. The H1 2021 revenue from Uconic came in at $2.3 million, and this is around four months worth of sales. The net loss for Q2 was $78.5 million, and they had cash and cash equivalents of around $456.2 million. The other thing that I think may have shocked investors is that TGTX guided $1 billion worth of sales in 2025. And now most of the time, investors are kind of projecting one year or two years into the future, and they have a, a three or four year projection as well. But for the company to guide one billion in 2025, I think may have been a bit of a shock and they would have preferred to see that one billion number in say 2023. And the company also mentioned that it was a 50-50 split between the oncology franchise and the MS franchise. I think this was in the question and answer section that this came up. And I'm not sure how investors are going to take this because on the one hand, the MS franchise, Ocrevus, which is going to be a comp competitor for Ublituximab, is generating in the billions of revenue today. So I think investors are surprised that they're not going to see more adoption of Ublituximab for MS. And then on the other hand, they know that U2 is hopefully going to be approved for CLL, which is a huge patient population compared to MZL and FL and that all of those oncology sales is only going to be around $500 million. So I think the combination of this was a bit of a surprise to investors. And for this reason, there was a bit of a scare when it came to the sell-off and what led to this big decline to $22 a share. Now, I think there's some bright spots here, and this might be a good price point to get in. On the one hand, I think that the drug being given away for free is a short-term loss and that it's going to be made up multiple fold in the future due to my reasons that I outlined before. I think that the approval for CLL is very likely to occur. The approval for Ublituximab is very likely to occur even though that's not going to be until well into 2022. They're also going to be releasing some interesting data coming out in the later parts of the year. The one interesting data set is from the triple combination of U2 plus Venataclax and this is going to be in CLL and so far the data has looked pretty good in the early trials that they did. So I think this is gonna be pretty interesting. And then they're also gonna be releasing some CD47 clinical data, either in the early part of 2022, or we're gonna see this in Q4. So I'm gonna think about adding a position maybe in the later parts of Q3, and hope to see some upside after we see, you know, maybe an improvement in the sales numbers from Uconic, or this data set that we're gonna see later in the year. So. The other thing, I'm going to be having Michael Weiss on the show, so if you have any questions, please let me know very soon because he's going to be coming on in the short term. So that's TGTX, unfortunate decline, but I think long term they're going to be okay. Speaking of more oncology companies, Caria Farm is another one that suffered a serious decline in the last little while. Ticker symbol KPTI, and they're trading at $4.88 a share. I'm down like 60% on my position, giving them a market cap of around $370 million. And the reason for this, largely in my opinion, is the adoption has been abysmal. Their Q2 revenue from Expovio or Selenexor was $20.2 million, and this is only an 8% year-over-year increase. Their net loss was $53.6 million, and they have cash of $239 million. Now, their market cap is quickly approaching their cash, and so at this $4.88 a share, it's gonna be a turnaround story eventually, and I just worry that the share price is gonna to have to get below the cash value 
before we're going to finally see exhaustion of selling and then we're going to finally see some buying come in. But for me right now, the, the story is going to be on the top line data coming from their phase three Siendo study in endometrial cancer. I think that seeing positive data here is really the only thing that's going to save this stock unless the new CEO, Richard Paulson, can come in and really get this commercial team going. But it seems to me like the side effect profile, which is the bare case for why this drug isn't going to be a success, is kind of coming to fruition here. The Q&A section of the sales call was pretty uncomfortable with the company trying to repeat themselves on their initiatives to try and develop it commercially. But for me, I just think that the multiple myeloma market is pretty saturated. And for a drug like Selenixor to come in, they're not able to convince doctors to prescribe it. And I think that that's one of the difficult things right now. And that if we can see some good data in their phase three Siendo study, maybe this could turn it around. But for me, it's, uh, it's gonna be a sell pretty soon. And I think that until the story changes, it's not worth taking a position. But I'm gonna hold through this readout. And if it's positive, I think I'll sell on that news. And otherwise, I don't know if I'm willing to wait much longer for the company to try to turn the commercial team around and start actually selling this drug. So that's KPTI, very unfortunate, but it is what it is. And I think this has been part of the lesson on why I'm gonna stop investing in commercial stage biotech. I think for me, even investing in companies that are PDUFA stage isn't really worth it because we've seen so many times that They'll get approved from the FDA and then the stock sells off a whole bunch. So for me, it's going to be playing the run-ups into data readouts as well as the readouts themselves moving forward. With that, let's talk about another oncology company called Curis. Ticker symbol CRIS, and they're sitting at a share price of $7.55 each, giving them a market cap of $690 million. Now, the company reported a Q2 2021 revenue, and I had no idea they had a revenue-producing asset of 2.3 million, and this is a royalty revenue due to Everidge sales, some collaboration with another company. The net loss in Q2 was 10.8 million, and they have a cash position now of $160.7 million. And this company, for those who don't know, have an IRAC4 inhibitor, and it's an interesting asset that's shown a lot of progress in MDS or AML. Now, the company has reported a few updates on it already, and so one thing I'm gonna caution about future updates in AML MDS is that as we get more data, unless that data is remarkably more impressive, it's probably not gonna to lead to a big increase in the stock price. And I'm referencing the company Trillium here that was showing the same update with non-Hodgkin lymphoma data, and we really didn't see a respective increase in the price unless the data showed to be that much more impressive. But the company has three upcoming readouts. By the year end of 2021, they're gonna update us with their IRAC4 inhibitor, CA4948, in AML MDS patients with a spliceosome mutation that results in aberrant splicing of oncogenic IRAC4L. So I think it'll be interesting here to see how the results play out with patients that have this mutation in the spliceosome and those that don't to see how it shakes out because I think that if the company is able to see effectiveness of the molecule in AML-MDS patients with the spliceosome mutation, as well as patients that don't have the spliceosome mutation, it could apply to a larger patient population, which I think was something that was in question when they first produced some data. So my point being is that this is gonna be an interesting update that I'm going to be watching for. The next update that they're gonna report on is from initial safety data from their ongoing phase one monotherapy of their one asset CI8993, which targets a protein called Vista. And this is in relapsed and refractory solid tumors. So it's gonna be interesting to see here. I think that the possibility of failure is extremely high here, but if there's any kind of bright spot to suggest some kind of future development, I think there could be a lot of upside. So I'm gonna be looking for that as well. Now, the one thing that I'm a little curious about is where they're going to report initial data at a medical meeting from their ongoing phase 1-2 combination study of CA4948 plus ibrutinib in patients with B-cell cancers. So I assume they're talking about their non-Hodgkin lymphoma trials. And originally what they said was that 
in non-Hodgkin lymphoma, they're looking at CA4948 in monotherapy, as well as CA4948 plus abrutinib. So I'm not sure what to make of this. I assume the monotherapy study is still ongoing, and they're also doing this combination study. So I don't know what to make of it. And they also pushed the date. So originally it was going to be in the latter half of 2021, and it's now pushed to the first half of 2022. So that's curious right now. Not much else going on in the way of updates from these guys. The next company I want to talk about is called BioXL. And their ticker symbol is BTAI. They're trading at $24.60 a share, giving them a market cap of just shy of $700 million. Now, the company is working on a number of different things. They have an AI-driven mechanism to come up with uh, compounds that have been successful in acute agitation. And they're also looking at different cancer indications, but those studies are pretty early. The company's been able to show successful data in acute agitation, but they're able to also get killed in the stock price because they raise funds at very inopportune moments. So I'm down quite a bit on the position. Their Q2 2021 loss is $27 million, and they're sitting on a cash position of around $273 million. Now, there's not much in the way of updates from these guys, but I do want to mention the, the one readout that's coming out that I think is really interesting. And this is going to be data from adenocarcinoma cohort of phase 1b2 study of BXCL701 and Keytruda in aggressive forms of prostate cancer. And this is going to be coming up in the next month or two. They say Q3 of 2021. And I think this could be a huge mover for the stock. It's obviously a high risk, high reward situation, but I think that it could bring the stock price back into the one to $1.5 billion market cap range. And I'm probably going to sell the position either way after this. And the reason for this is there's not much in the way of catalysts. They're gonna be initiating a phase three in acute agitation and dementia patients in Q4 of this year. And I'd love to play the data readout on that, but I don't think I, there's gonna be much movement in the initiation. And then they have a PDUFA date of January 5th for acute agitation and schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. And I think it's probably going to get approval, but the thing is with PDUFA dates is we've seen that companies get approval and the sell-off happens immediately after because once you're a commercial stage, small slash mid cap biotech, the uh, selling pressure is very much overwhelming and it's tough to get out of that. So I'm thinking that I'm trying to get out of this BTAI position and hopefully with a positive cancer readout, it'll be my opportunity. So that's BioXL, not much else to say with that. And with that, let's move on to Regenix Bio. Ticker symbol RGNX, they're trading at around $31 a share, giving them a market cap of 1.3 billion. Their Q2 2021 revenue was 22 million, and this is due to Zolgensma revenue. And uh, Novartis, which has acquired that asset, reported $315 million for Zolgensma. Their net loss for Q2 was $57.6 million, and they're sitting on a cash position of $593 million. Now, the thing that I'm most excited for with Regenix Bio is the continuation of their supracoroidal trials. And I've talked about this before, but I'm reiterating it again. Now, they are moving ahead with their subretinal injection for RGX314, and they're doing two pivotal studies in wet AMD. Their enrollment is ongoing for the first of these two trials, and they're gonna start the second one, I believe, in the beginning of 2022. The most exciting readouts for me in the back half of this year, though, come from the wet AMD phase two study of supracoroidal injection of RGX314, and they're gonna be presenting interim data from their cohort one, which is 2.5 times 10 to the 11 genome copies per eye, and they're going to present this at the Retinal Society 54th meeting, which I think is happening on October 1st is when the RGX 314 presentation is going to be. Now, the cohort 2, which is double that dose, is going to be presented in Q4, maybe some kind of press release or something like that. But I want people to note that the dosing from cohort 1 is the equivalent of cohort 5 in the RGX 314 phase one slash two trial. Now, obviously the dosing is gonna be a little bit different perhaps between subretinal and supracoroidal, but their starting point is pretty high in my opinion. 
And because supercroidal is basically gonna bathe the back of the eye with this compound, I think that the results from this could be very impressive. The data that we saw from Clearside with their supercroidal injection of a different compound showed pretty positive data. So I think the delivery mechanism is basically secure here. And then the data that we saw from subretinal injection of RGX314 secures the part of efficacy that I think we're actually gonna see delivery of the compound to the retinal cells where they're gonna be able to express the anti-VEGF antibody helping out wet AMD. So I think this is a pretty low risk but high reward readout that we're gonna see here. The other thing that's coming out is that in Q4 of 2021, they're gonna show us cohort one data from their phase two of RGX314 given supercroidally in diabetic retinopathy. And this is a huge patient population. And this cohort one data is also with that 2.5 times 10 to the 11 genome copies per eye. So I think we've got a big back half for Regenix Bio, and I'm gonna be looking to add to my current position so that I can be pretty much set to make a pretty decent profit if things go well. The company has a lot of other stuff going on, so I would definitely encourage you to check out their corporate presentation. They're planning on giving updates in this hereditary angioedema, as well as a CNS program that they've started, and they're gonna be showing data updates on that in Q4 of 2021. So definitely check that out. But for me, their ophthalmology programs are very exciting, and I think it's gonna be a very interesting uh, back half of the year. With that, let's talk about some Nash companies that I'm invested in. And these two I've held forever, and in hindsight, it's kind of regrettable. Nash takes forever to develop clinically, and hanging on to a position just leaves you at so much risk for some downside in the case that something happens with these companies or the XBI decides to sell off, which in the time that I've held both Magical and Viking, that's happened a number of times. My position hasn't been enormous, and I've taken some profits out of these companies like I did with Magical, not so much Viking, but holding them has been kind of a waste of cash for me. Anyway, having said that, Magical is trading at $84 per share, giving them a market cap of $1.4 billion. Their Q2 net loss was $62 million, and they're sitting on a cash position of $324 million. The two clinical trials that they're doing now are phase three, the Maestro Nash and Maestro NAFLD. For the Maestro Nash, we're not expecting top-line results until Q3 of 2022. I assume the company is going to move up quite a bit in price in anticipation of that readout, but given we're one year away from that readout, I don't think it's gonna have any effect on the stock price, and MDGL is just going to be at the whims of the XBI. Now, the one interesting thing I noticed from their earnings report is that they say the number of patients they've enrolled support accelerated approval for their drug calls, called Resmitaram, I think it's called, their thyroid receptor beta agonist. So what's interesting here is that it means they're gonna be able to use a surrogate endpoint in order to get approval. And the FDA has released specific guidelines for NASH companies, and I think that if their phase three in NASH can reproduce what they saw in phase two, we should be good to go for FDA approval. I don't know what I'm gonna do after that. I, I'm thinking more about just selling after top line results in Q4 for their NAFLD trial, and then maybe taking a position before the NASH trial results come out. So to get to that, the top line results for their NAFLD trial are expected in Q4 2021. And this is a readout for non-invasive imaging and biomarkers. And I think it's gonna be pretty easy for them to hit the results that they need. NAFLD patients are less severe liver damaged patients than NASH patients. So I think for them, it's going to be pretty easy to get a good result because they've been able to see such a reduction in liver fat in their prior trials. So I'm gonna be waiting until Q4 and after this result, I think I might exit the position and then reevaluate from there. Viking Therapeutics, on the other hand, ticker symbol VKTX, is trading at $5.9 per share, sitting at around a $460 million market cap. Their net loss has been $16 million in Q2, and they're sitting at around $250 million in cash. And this company has totally dragged their feet with all of their programs. 
The company previously saw positive data in their phase two in NAFLD patients, and they then wanted to move on into this phase two B voyage study in biopsy confirmed NASH. The thing is, the enrollment for this trial has taken forever. And they're saying here that the results are coming in 2022. I think probably 2023 is more likely. And you know, in the time that I've been holding a position, they, they had a program in a testosterone agonist, a selective androgen receptor modulator that they canceled. And then they started this X-linked adrenoleukodystrophy program where they saw some positive early phase 1A data, but now they're moving on to phase 1B data where they're saying that results are gonna come in 2022. So this has been a, a real lesson for me why you should really not hold smaller mid-cap biotech stocks unless you have a very clear thesis. And I'm down quite a bit in this position, and I think that I'm just gonna sell it. I finally uh, kinda had enough of this, and I'm just gonna sell the company I would not recommend taking a position unless they're very clear in the upcoming catalyst that we're gonna see in here, they're saying 2022. So maybe wait until an earnings report and then decide to take a position if they've been more granular with when that date's coming out. But that's Viking Therapeutics. Now with that, let's get to Cassava Sciences, which is a little more exciting. Ticker symbol SAVA. They're trading at $122 per share, giving them a market cap of $4.4 billion. They had a Q2 net loss of $5.1 million, and they're sitting in a cash position of $278 million. $5.1 million burn per quarter is very low compared to pretty much all the other biotechs that I mentioned, and the company's sitting at a huge market cap right now. Now, the update that happened, other than their general earnings report, was from this conference called AAIC, and a bunch of different companies in the CNS space gave a presentation. And I gotta say, like I predicted, it was very much a sell the news event. Most CNS companies sold off after their presentation and Cassava was no exception here. Now, I'm not gonna give an update on all the different companies. I think I've beaten the CNS space to death, even though it is a pretty exciting space right now, I will admit. But specifically for Cassava, they announced an update from their open label study. And again, just to remind everybody, open label means that it's unblinded and there's no control group. So effects that we see here could largely be due to the fact that they know that they're taking the active compound and the fact that there's no control group means we really have nothing to compare it to other than other trials or other data now having said that they updated in their ADAS cog 11 metric which is you know one of the ways that neuroscientists use to gauge cognitive function in alzheimer's patients and so cassava showed previously a 1.6 point improvement from baseline to six months. And they announced this in Q1 of 2021, and this led to a huge increase in the stock price, something that I totally did not anticipate, given the fact that this is an open label study. The company has since updated that, going from baseline to nine months, and they're now showing a three point improvement in ADAS COG 11 from baseline to nine months. So again, it's a single group, and they're all taking the active molecule and they're showing three-point improvement in ADAS COG-11. When you look at the breakdown of individual patients, the range in the effect of their drug, Cimufalam, is from 14-point improvement to seven-point decline. So there's a lot of variability going on here. The majority of patients do see some kind of improvement, but if you want to ask my opinion, it very much does just look like a placebo effect is going on. And until we have a control group or a randomized control trial, we're not really going to know. Now, I will say one thing, the biomarker changes seem to be encouraging and they go in the direction that you would expect. The company has had some biomarker struggles in the past and I feel like it's pretty easy to just do a million different biomarker analyses and then just cherry pick the ones that you want to show that are showing a positive effect. But that set aside, I know there's a lot of people that like cassava sciences, and I honestly, I hope that they're successful, but I'm a little bit suspicious. Now, people who took a position when I said to sell would have made way more money, so this is just another good example on why you should never listen to me on any of your trades and that this is not investment advice. In terms of upcoming catalysts, we're gonna be seeing 12-month interim data on their open label study coming in Q4 of 2021. I don't know if I would take a position 
in anticipation of this at $122 per share. But if we see a big sell-off like we did after AAIC, it might be worth it because the odds of there being positive data in Q4 for this study are probably pretty high given the fact that it's open label. They've already seen two data points come out where it's pretty positive-ish. So I think the odds of it being positive are pretty high here. They do have a randomized control trial, which is phase three, which is what they're gonna to need to complete in order to submit for marketing approval from the FDA. And they're gonna initiate this in the fall of 2021. I don't think this is gonna be a big mover for the stock, but it is good that they're talking about initiating this because this is really what we're gonna to need to see in order to figure out whether or not this drug, Simufalam, actually does have some activity here. I've been wrong about cassava sciences multiple times, so it's not a stock that I'm looking at shorting or going long on. So for those reasons, I'm not going to be taking any kind of position. And because I've been wrong, you probably should not listen to me when it comes to investment advice here. And you should treat this information only as entertainment. And with that, let's get to another company called 4D Molecular Therapeutics, ticker symbol FDMT. They're trading at 27 bucks a share, giving them a market cap of $750 million. Their Q2 net loss was only 6.7 million, and they're sitting at a cash position of 244 million. Now, the only thing I wanna say about this company is that they are maintaining their, their timeline for their different clinical trials. The phase one, two data is coming from their gene therapies in Fabry, X-linked retinal pigmentosum, and choroideremia. This should be happening in Q4, 2021. And they're also initiating clinical trials in wet AMD and cystic fibrosis in Q4. So Q4 gonna be a very big event for this company. I think that the stock is probably gonna run up quite a bit on the approach to Q4 and how they give these readouts I think is gonna be pretty important. If they get all of the data at once and some is positive and some is negative, you know, I'm gonna try to navigate this as best as possible, but I might add positions on negative data, which I think are kind of expected for X-linked retinal pigmentosum. I'm not sure about choroideremia, but Fabry should be a positive readout, given that I think other companies have seen a lot of positive data in Fabry gene therapies. So the bar is a little bit uh, higher for them, whereas X-linked retinal pigmentosum, I think the bar is a lot lower. So I'm kind of rambling here, but Q4 for this company is gonna be huge, and I'm gonna try to navigate it as best I can, and. You know, I'll, I'll post about what I do on my Twitter. All right, final company I wanna to touch on is Selective Biosciences, ticker symbol SELB. They moved up quite a bit after the earnings report. They're trading at $4.3 per share, giving them a market cap of $500 million. Their net income in Q2 2021 due to a, a royalty was 4.6 million, and their cash position is $152 million. They achieved a $3 million milestone payment from Sarepta Therapeutics for some preclinical data from their active collaboration. And they did some work on Duchenne muscular dystrophy as well as limb girdle muscular dystrophy in collaboration with Sarepta and they were able to realize that milestone payment. So that's good. It's still preclinical data, so I'm not sure whether it's anything worth trading on. The other things that we should be looking forward to though are the submission of an IND for SEL302, and this is for methylmalonic acidemia, which is being filed in Q3 of 2021. I don't think this is gonna be a huge mover for the stock, but the one readout that I do wanna play is the data from this AAV8 EMC 101 study. And this is an empty vector capsid, which they're gonna combine with their immunomodulator called mTOR, and what they're hoping to achieve is the mitigation of the formation of anti-AAV8 antibodies. And if they can see positive data here, I think this would be a pretty nice proof of concept study showing that their treatment can not induce an AAV8 antibody response in human patients. And this is something that doesn't really get talked about as much given that other issues with gene therapies have come out, but the issue is that once somebody is treated with an AAV, they often express antibodies against that AAV such that future doses of that same AAV or maybe a related AAV won't be able to be administered successfully because the adaptive immune system will have been trained to destroy that AAV that enters the bloodstream. 
So what I envision here is that if they can see positive data, imagine all the different gene therapy companies that are using AAVs to transduce their gene of interest into patients. And in order to mitigate an antibody response against that AAV, they might want to include this mTOR product in order to allow patients to be redosed with a gene therapy or to take some other kind of gene therapy. And you know, who knows how the gene therapy space is going to evolve, but something like this I think could be a very valuable asset and is the reason why I think I'm gonna take a small position in anticipation of this readout. And then you know, we'll see after that, but I think the catalysts are relatively thin for this company moving into the early part of 2022, but I like Selective Biosciences and I am keeping an eye on them. And that's what I got. So if anybody's got any comments about the different companies that I touched on here, please let me know in the comments. Send me an email at matthewlepoire at gmail.com or tweet at me at matthewlepoire. And then in terms of upcoming data, I already went through this. Um, some companies I didn't touch on though. Replimune has a lot of readouts coming up in the back half of the year. Humanity has a phase 1b multiple ascending dose study for their Parkinson's disease trial, and this is anticipated in the fall 2021. And then Cyclerion has MELAS data coming at the end of the year. So those are a couple things I wanted to bring up. And then in terms of a portfolio wrap-up, I am down about 14 or 15% year-to-date, and this has put me in good company with the XBI and ARCG. The XBI has been just bouncing around this 130 level for a while now, and I hope that with some positive sentiment or some M&A, anything, I think we're pretty desperate right now, we could see that turn positive, but it remains to be seen. In terms of trades that I made, I did add to my Atrika position and then I sold it after the data came out negative, so I took a loss on that. I also added to my ALX Oncology position and that's been actually moving up kind of nicely. Uh, it's a rare green position that I have because things have been really rough. And just one thing I wanted to point out is that it seems like I have been incorrect in my decision to hold Trillium. It was a tough decision to hold it given that I was probably up something like 150% at the peak. So it's kind of devastating to see that I'm now an order of magnitude less than that at only plus 15%, but it, uh, it is what it is. This is the biotech, and I think the one lesson here is that taking profits when you have them is a very good idea most of the time. And with that, I'm going to wrap it up there, but I wanna thank everybody for your attention, appreciate all the support, and if you have any questions for Michael Weiss from TGTX, please send me an email or let me know in the comments below. And yeah, thanks again everybody, and we'll see you next time.